Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Monday, the 28th of June. Good morning, good morning, good morning. So the United States has, uh, well, carried out drone, well, actually, we've carried out defensive precision airstrikes. This is according to the Defense Department. Uh, Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby released this statement. At President Biden's direction, the U.S. military forces earlier this evening, this would be uh, last night, conducted defensive precision airstrikes against facilities used by Iran-backed militia groups in the Iraq-Syria border region. So um, not expecting casualties, certainly not uh, any any large number of casualties related to these. These were uh, drone bases that the United States has um, demolished using F-15 and F-16 fighter jets. So just uh, an update there. You know, that will result in um, Iran at least doing some verbal saber rattling. And so just be aware that that's likely to be in the news cycle in the next couple of days. The Tour de France was disrupted when a fan who apparently wanted his sign to be on television stepped out in front of the lead pack of riders in the final leg of the Tour de France. Um, he wanted to be on TV, and so he stepped onto the course with his large sign. The riders did not have time to divert around him, and there was a massive crash and pile up. Many of the riders were injured. Um, they will not be able to uh, finish the race or, or even continue the race. And so, you know, I think that it it makes us mindful, it makes me mindful of the desire of some to be seen for something as inconsequential as, hey, I have a marker and a sheet of paper and I know how to make a sign versus all that goes into uh, being an elite athlete and riding in something like the Tour de France. And so... Um, the desire to be seen and noticed and taken note of and on television or, you know, become a person of fame, even if because of infamy, like, I think that's a challenging conversation for us to have in the selfie culture today. So maybe as we're having that conversation and our hearts go out to um, all of those writers who will now not be able to ride in this, you know, pinnacle career event for many, many of them. Um, it's a good conversation for us to have with ourselves and one another and others in our lives who might be seeking to gather unto themselves fame for things that are inconsequential, like the making of a sign at home with a marker. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> okay. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, postponed due to the coronavirus pandemic, uh, are set to begin on July the 23rd. So the U.S. track and field trials are underway in Eugene, Oregon, 
notable there, um, it it rose to 110 degrees. It's never been that hot, uh, at least in terms of records, in in Eugene, Oregon, Oregon. And so there was a delay of uh, U.S. track and field trials yesterday for a period of time. At least one athlete um, did not complete uh, the trials um, due to the heat. Probably, uh, probably several were certainly deeply affected by it. Um, but those trials uh, are ongoing and just want to lift that up to us today as well. Ongoing prayers for the situation in Surfside, Florida, following the condo collapse there. The official death toll um, does continue to rise as remains are identified. Nine people are confirmed dead. 120 people have been accounted for, which I believe means they are in the hospital. Like that is how I would um, judge that number. There are still 155 people missing. And, you know, the longer this goes and there have been fires and there's been flooding in the bottom of the um, <clears throat> of the debris pile. Um, and the longer this goes on, obviously, the less hope there is for 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 survivors to be found. And at some point, the um, the rescue effort will be replaced with a recovery effort. And that will be a notable change. Um, one of the notable ways that that change takes place is that they will take the dogs who are currently looking for survivors, dogs that are specially trained to sniff out and listen for signs of life, for dogs that are especially trained to sniff out and point to human remains. And so... Um, that's going to be really hard when that happens for those families, those friends, the people of that community. And so let's be uh, mindful of that and um, and notable uh, noting what's happening there. Senator Marco Rubio has expressly asked for prayers for miracles in Surfside, Florida. So we pray with Senator Marco Rubio, our brother in Christ, uh, for that this day. Dave Buring joins me next. We're going to talk about, well, we're going to talk about us. We're going to talk about the question of whether or not we are polished arrows. What does that mean? And how can we give in to God's efforts to make us shape us into the people that he chooses to use? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. joins me from Lion Share. You can find lots of resources and what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Dave, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So I loved this episode of your podcast, uh, season three, episode five, Are You a Polished Arrow? Um, so, you know, share with us where this phrase polished arrow comes from, and then let's set up a conversation about you know, being used by God. Yeah, so when you read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, you you find this place, and I'll just read these couple of verses. It says, The Lord called me from the womb, meaning he knows us even when we're there. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. 
he made me a polished arrow in the quiver he hid me away and he said to me you are my servant Israel in who I will be glorified so that's where we get the phrase polished arrow from Isaiah chapter 49 and so I um I love the way that you uh, that you work this out in terms of how Isaiah became a polished arrow and so talk about that talk about that process in Isaiah's life and then let's get into a conversation about you know, how that might be happening in our own lives as well. Sure. So in Isaiah chapter 6, it's it's a familiar passage to many people. It's that place where it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And there's this encounter that Isaiah has in the midst of his own grief and the loss of of the the king. And so the thing that I noted from it, Carmen, and, and, and at someone who hits 62 next month, it's, you know, there's been a length of journey now that I can look back at my own life and the life of friends and those that I walk alongside and see a process that happens. And I noted it here in Isaiah 6. First, it says that, and I like to call it the upward look, he sees the Lord. That's the, the trigger point for the whole thing. He encounters God. He sees God like he never saw him before. And that moved him into a second response that I like to call the shaping phase, because what happened is he goes from upward to an inward look. And he says, woe is me, I am undone. And and the word there means disintegrated, kind of that just disintegrated because of what he saw of the Lord. And then he begins to realize, he says, I am a man who lives amongst a people of unclean lips. And he, he confesses his own unclean lips. And we know that God responds and and takes care of that, forgives, heals. And then we have this interesting place where we see the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit talking with one another. And they said, you know, who shall we send for us? And then Isaiah volunteers, here am I, send me. And there's ascending place. So I look at it as seeing first, then shaping internally, and then thirdly, ascending. All right. I think those are really important steps. Um, you note in this that we tend to like to skip uh, yeah. from number one being, you know, called n- to number three being sent. And we we skip over that. Let me willingly submit to the reshaping or the shaping stage. So let's take a very brief break. When we come back, Dave Buring and I are going to talk about the shaping stage Um, how God uses like seasons of preparation, sometimes very, very long seasons of preparation in order that we can be really ready to be used as polished arrows. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Dave Burring. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. The question is, are you a polished arrow? We are talking um, about passages from Isaiah 49 and Isaiah chapter 6. We have set the stage for this conversation um, by moving through the way God not only called, but then shaped the life of Isaiah in order that um, when it came time in God's providence and plan— Isaiah would be prepared to be used of God as a polished arrow. So, um, Dave, let's get into the question of how we like to skip the shaping stage. Yeah, I think it's just human nature that, you know, when things get a little challenging, 
that uh, we like to skip it. And I've just watched for many years now, Carmen, how when someone feels called by God to do something, and so when we use the word calling, you know, I mean, there's, there's, you've been directed by God, you know, God has initiated, it's not just a human idea, it's something that, that you recognize that uh, there's a, a, a divine call, a divine leading. And, and, and oftentimes, by the way, the calling thing, we can constantly look for something out there like the burning bush or Paul being knocked to the ground. When often calling begins by paying attention to the natural abilities, acquired skills, and spiritual gifts that God's placed within you. He's wired you to do certain things, and there's other things that you're, you don't have the aptitudes for as much. And so I think it's looking there first. But once we begin to see where God may be leading us, he, in his incredible love for us as a father, takes the time to shape us so that we're ready for it. Like He's not someone that just throws us to the wolves to get something done for him. He wants to shape us. When I'm, when I'm with 20s and 30-somethings, Carmen and I often will say this to them, in your 20s and 30s, it's more about what God's building in you than what he's doing through you. And it doesn't mean that God won't do great things through you, because when you obey him, he does, right? But it's, what are you focusing on? And God is always trying to shape us to look more like Jesus and to be readied for our call. Yeah, it gets to that um, conform to Christ, you know, from one degree of glory to another. Um, And I don't necessarily like to imagine that that's going to require like 180 degrees, right? Mm -hmm. One Mm -hmm. degree of glory to another that I'm going to, you know, but it may be 360 degrees. Like, right, I may, Mm -hmm. this might take a really long time. There might be a lot of degrees between who I am and how I'm thinking and, um, and living from the way that Christ thinks and would have me live in order that I can be used by him as a polished arrow. And that's uncomfortable to think about. Like, I think we like to think that, hey, repentance is, I turn around, I recognize my sin, I turn around, I've repented, so it's done. The, the turnaround has happened. But the turnaround that we're talking about is really one of degrees, by one degree of glory to another. Yes. And, and the Lord is very specific on where he wants to grow us. For example, um, here's a couple of words that I often use in this process. One is he wants our character to look more like his. And he goes to work on developing things like faithfulness, diligence, honesty, integrity, those kinds of things, which again, in today's culture around us, it's more kind of living in not only the moment, it's living in the second. And and a lot of that stuff goes out the window uh, when it comes to making choices. Instead of making choices based, okay, what's what's wisdom here? What is the result of walking in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom? And and so we're just making decisions either for our own well-being or just in the moment what feels right, rather than through the lens of of godly character. And so God goes to work trying to build character in us. And a second thing is he wants to teach us his ways, how he does things, which is different than the world does things. And so God begins the process of working these things in us. And when you look in the scriptures, having this lens now, you'll see how he did this. Um, And like you've said, Carmen, it's not always an overnight deal. It's one degree at a time, and it takes time. And matter of fact, when you look at the life of Moses, um, his life can be broken into Uh, three 40-year segments, 40 years in Egypt, 
best training on the planet at the time, 40 years in the wilderness, God gives him a family and deals with him, and then 40 years fulfilling his call. So here's the thing we need to think about. 80, 80 years of preparation for 40 years of service. That's two-thirds of his life. So translating into our world, if we live to be 75 or 80, that's 50 to 55 years of our life is actually preparation for hitting our stride. And even Jesus, who lived about 33, 30 years or 10 elevenths of his life, was preparation. It's a whole different way to look at our lives. All right, I'm answering um, Scott here. Uh, he says, hey, I'm having a hard time finding the link. Um, so, Scott, you just want to go to lionshare.org and type in, are you a polished arrow? And the um, the the podcast that we're talking about and the notes related to it will pop up. So thanks for that question. Um, Dave, this is, I think, incredibly helpful and convicting and also reassuring because maybe I'm already... 50 or 60 or 70 years old, and I'm kind of wondering, I'm kind of wondering to myself, you know, did I miss my calling? Did, you know, does, is God calling other people and not calling me? Maybe I'm still in the preparation process and God hasn't yet, you know, like f- phoned the friend and said, hey, hey, now it's time to go. Here's the direction that I want to shoot you specifically having shaped and polished you all these many years. Yes. And it, it is an encouraging thing to realize um, that it's often, according to a study by Dr. Bobby Clinton, who researched over 18 years, some 1,300 leaders from history, scripture, and today. And, and he found that it was not until you hit your usually mid-50s into even your early 60s that you often hit your stride. Now imagine, so I work with some of these 20s and 30s who I can say, hey, look, don't sweat it right now. Focus on what God's building in you. Serve faithfully, be obedient to what he's showing you, building those good patterns. But then it's also being shaped in such a way that you realize, you know, if you're 32, you might be another 20 some years away from hitting your stride. Well, that goes so counter to the way the world thinks. But as followers of Jesus, we want to know God's ways. And it doesn't mean, again, that at 29 you can't do awesome things, because if God asks you to do something and you obey him, then there's spiritual fruit. But it's also pausing to recognize that he's building you. So, yeah, those of you that are listening today that you're 50s, 60s, and 70s, look, there, there are things that God has for you. And you may feel like, man, it's been a big swing and a miss. No, maybe losing that job or being moved from this place to another or this role to that role. If you can stop and look at it through the lens of, what was God adding to me in that phase? Because he's always either shaping character, adding tools to the tool belt, teaching us his ways. And if you could stop and just maybe journal a little bit and think about, okay, what did he add to me there? And you might just go, golly, that two years of hard stuff was just to learn one lesson, but I got it. And if you didn't get it, you can still go back and grab it. So just realize that if you're, again, 50s, 60s, even in your 70s, there's still pieces that God may have for you to fulfill the purposes for which you've been born. I'm also wondering if, you know, when we're, when we're young, I mean, you know, 30s, 30s and 40s, um, 20s, 30s and 40s, there's also this, that's the season during which many people are having and raising their own kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just thinking that God wants dads to be investing in their kids in that season. Like that's the other like arrows passage in scripture, right? From Psalm 127, 
This yep. children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from God, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Um, and so I'm maybe there's something there as well that in those years, God is teaching us so much simply by having the opportunity to raise another generation. Like there's so much learning to be done during that season of life. Yes, indeed. And I, I think because as Americans, we tend to find our identity in what we do versus who we are. Sometimes that challenge of, okay, do I keep accomplishing this or do I give time to my kids and my family? I know, Carmen, I had come to a point in my, you know, mid to late 30s that, you know, I too was looking for, okay, God, what's the, where are you really pulling the arrow back to fire me time? And I remember just saying, Lord, if I, if I don't hit this until after my kids are graduated from high school and they're out of the house, and, and then it was along that time that I ran into Bobby Clinton's material and realizing, oh, wow, you don't really even hit your stride till your mid to late 50s, sometimes even into your 60s. That was helpful to me because then I was able to say, okay, I'll keep building the gift sets. I'll keep being faithful. I'll try to do things with excellence, but I can really give time here to my kids. And, uh, and because of that, now as a grandfather of four, I will set aside work often in a heartbeat to be with them. And so it's continued to keep my relationships healthy while also trying to fulfill God's call on my life. Yeah, I just love it. All right, Dave, as always, thank you so much for joining us. A little shout out to Lori this morning. Lori says, this conversation is so perfectly timed for me. She's beginning a new job today at 52 and thinks, wow, maybe this is um, maybe this is God's, you know, right hand like literally on the building blocks of my life. So amen. Amen, Lori. Um, blessings upon you as you start your new job today. Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. You can, you guys can find the notes from today as well as other resources at lionshare.org. We'll be right back. All right, we're going to do a roundup of some what I'll describe as Beltway headlines. Yep, going to talk about what's going on in D.C., do us a little update from the Supreme Court, as well as what is happening in Congress. We'll also visit with Dr. Adam Carrington about the rise in crime across the country. Mm-hmm. What's going on out there? We'll be right back. Ever tried to teach a frog to fly? Well, good luck. It doesn't usually end very well. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Sometimes parents have goals and dreams for their children that don't quite match what the kids were made for. It's like mom and dad are dealing with the frog. They keep trying to make him fly. Well, as much as they coach, lecture, prod, and force him to practice, that frog will never sprout wings. He'll stink at flying. Instead of trying to turn your frog into a mediocre bird, work at something he'll enjoy and something that'll ensure his success. Mom, Dad, let go of some of that self-induced stress. Reevaluate what your teen is created to do. Then become his biggest fan. Looking for daily encouragement and wisdom? Sign up for the small group curriculum for moms and dads. Go to parentingtodaysteens.org. All right, joining me again today, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Adam, welcome back. 
Glad to be back. Hope everyone's doing well. Yeah, everyone's, you know, well, you know, everyone. That seems kind of a blanket statement. I am doing well. I will speak for myself. I am doing well. Are you doing well? Yes, yes. I'm actually working with some 7 through 12 uh, 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 social studies and, and American history and government teachers at a school that they're all working to get their master's degree. And I'm working through the American presidency with them. So it's really neat for teachers and teachers to interact and and think about how we can educate America's kids about these things. That's awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so the Supreme Court, one of your, uh, you know, favorite things to talk about and focus on. Uh, let's see, they're almost done, right? This um, this particular session is almost done. They will reconvene for another session, which I'm sure will be very consequential in October. Um, I think there are five cases yet for them to um, issue decisions on during this term. Uh, wh- where are we? What's going on? What can we anticipate? Yeah, it seems that at this point, uh, the biggest cases, for example, the religious liberty case that we talked about uh, last week, have already come out. So uh, the the ones that are left, many of them are more technical, many of them are more uh, particular to probably what lawyers would look at. In fact, you Mm -hmm. said the upcoming one, the upcoming term people are already talking about because it's the next term that the big abortion case is going to come up from Mississippi, where I think there's going to be a lot of jostling this summer and thinking about what the court's going to do on those things. So I, I think that the, the big bang for people that are outside court watchers have probably already happened. Um, and really, it's, it's it's now thinking, starting to think back and look on what the term itself has been, what, what, what we think now that we have a Justice Barrett and looking forward to... To, as the court settles in with this new lineup, what's what's going to happen next? And the big thing I should actually add is everyone's speculating whether there's going to be any retirements. Often now that's made the last week of, of uh, decisions. So that's another thing people are going to be watching this week is especially Justice Breyer, who's in his 80s. Would he retire and open up a place for uh, uh, Biden and a, a Democrat Senate to, to approve, which, of course, will have ramifications down the road, too? So I think those are the big things for for people looking forward at this point for the court. All right. The um, lots of conversations ongoing about what I will describe as the cheerleading First Amendment case. Um, let's let's walk back to that. It was an eight one decision. Why? Well, Remind people what happened, and then why did Justice Thomas dissent? Yes, uh, so if if it, this had to do with a cheerleader who was angry about decisions related to cheerleading made by the the school and off campus uh, on Snapchat made very derogatory, uh, profane comments uh, related to it, and and was punished by the school. And the question was, does that violate her her free speech? And as you you said, it, this went to the um, went to the Supreme Court as a First Amendment case, and the uh, and the court actually eight to one sided with the cheerleader. And and there's a sort of a history of this uh, on the court where the, the 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 court has decided that even if speech isn't what they would want. Um, they would uh, that that they're going to side with allowing more than they agree with. One could remember that they sided eight to one with the Westboro Baptists 
uh, and their uh, pretty nasty protests of, of, of marine funerals. Uh, Justice Thomas is interesting because his, his biggest dissent, being the only dissenter, was that he really think that it left an unworkable standard for schools to try to follow. Thomas is very concerned about the future of education. He thinks that we, um, it wasn't so much as much the speech part as that we handicap teachers too much and that we handicap administrators too much in what they're able to do to keep order, discipline, and to just know what they're allowed to do. So it was interesting that he didn't attack so, as much the substance about free speech as just the unworkability of what, and, and sort of the Pandora's box to um, what they thought he thought this was opening for, for schools. And it really does go beyond the legalese to what kind of environment can um, school administrators encourage without overstepping the fact that students are human beings that should have some freedom to speak their voice? And in this fairly, unfortunately, vulgar age that we seem to be in, we're having a huge time discerning what we say versus how we say it in, 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 our, in our discourse. So I was reminded, I feel like this was two years ago now, I was reminded of the Supreme Court decision related to like a a branding trademark of a fashion designer who wanted to put F-U-C-T, right? Like that's the brand. And there was this conversation at the, well, at the decision at the Supreme Court about whether or not he could be blocked from registering that. And I recall them deciding that it violated his First Amendment rights to not allow him to register that um, because of the standards of, like, immoral or scandalous ideas in the, um, uh, apparently, in the way that we do trademarks. So um, it feels to me, because that is also... Uh, the word, the referent word at issue here in regards to the language that this then middle schooler used in reference to cheerleading and to her school. Um, it, it feels like that standard is what is moving in our culture. You know, is that immoral? Is it, you know, beyond decorum to use that word or term? And it feels to me like we've arrived at the place in the culture where Sadly, that has become just another word in, you know, in daily parlance. And this and on one hand, I think people are worried about making sure that not it's not just the most refined people that get to articulate themselves. But there seems to be a standard that is below that, that is is allows people to speak as they want to speak without um with, with, with having some idea of decorum, and you mentioned, you're right, that that, 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 that case, that trademark case from a couple years ago uh, brought up the interesting idea where the, the, the court was struggling to determine what is moral, immoral and scandalous behavior. And part of it goes back to another set of cases where on, on issues of, um, of sexuality, and sexual acts and 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 regulations of marriage that uh, uh, ended in Obergefell. One of the unintended consequences of that was they basically gutted the ability for laws to have some basis in morality because that was always a claim that was made, and they 
sort of categorically rejected that claim, not in just relation to issues of sexuality, but period. Meaning that when other claims that had nothing to do with same-sex marriage or same-sex attraction um, come up, the court trying to follow its own logic now struggles to say, can we have a basic moral minimum beyond hurting each other physically in how we interact with each other? And it's opened up a, a huge problem that I think is now reaping, is being reaped in, in, these, in these First Amendment cases. And it's really going to be hard as a society to, if we don't have a hard discussion about this, to have uh, the kind of, of um, ability to speak and interact with each other if we can't have these basic principles. That is worthy of a follow-up conversation for you and I to have in the future. Um, let's take a very brief break. When Adam Carrington and I come back, we're going to pivot and we're going to have a conversation about the rise in crime um, in the United States of America. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. The cover of The Week, which is a publication that uh, that brands itself as everything you need to know uh, about what's happening, um, has a cover article that notes the rise in crime across the United States of America. So we thought it would be helpful to kind of have a just a wide ranging conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington this morning on this topic of increasing crime. Um, what's going on in in America? Right, and and to put some some particular numbers to it, the murder rate increased by 25% at least in 2020. The data right now is a little preliminary, but in other words, it is uh, the the most number of murders that have occurred in a year since at least 1995. And people have said that they've never seen an increase like this in one year. And of course, there there, there are lots of debates about what is causing it. Uh, is it related to uh, attempts to defund the police? Is it the pandemic? Is it uh, all sorts of things? And and often there isn't just one silver bullet answer. But I, I think in trying to have this conversation, and it's interesting that President Biden is now committing, trying to commit more funds and encouragement to, to increasing police forces and sees it as a major problem. And I think it is, especially politically for the Democrats. But um, is to maybe get back to some basics on what are the parameters to think about when we're ha when we have this conversation, which has gotten so intense, so angry, uh, so divided, and it, it seems that uh, a good thing to keep in mind. I, I thought of this um, as you were as you were talking was Federalist Fifty One. And that was written by James Madison. It was a paper to defend the U.S. Constitution. And he famously said, if men were angels, there'd be no need for government. Uh, therefore, uh, I'll add in, you have an argument for why you need police. You need to be able to enforce laws to protect people from being harmed and attacked. But he then adds immediately, if uh, angels were to run government, you wouldn't need limits on the government itself. So he, cops are human beings, and there are there are times where cultures and sin and other things can come in that can 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 be destructive. And I think um, what's what's often missing from these debates is the need to make law enforcement a friend to communities and for communities to see them as doing a service while also 
being a friend in the sense of sensitive to particular communities' needs, particular community and their own potential biases or, or, or sin. And the ability to have that kind of nuanced conversation, I think, has been lacking and I think is one contributing factor among, I think, many to uh, for the first time in a while we've seen a rise in crime. And I think that's extraordinary for many you know, people like me that are young, a little younger. Um, we don't remember what crime used to be. The crime used to be three, four times what it is now. And so we need to be asking questions. If this is a rise, how, how do we have a parameter, including as believers, to, to think about this in, in context? I think every time we talk about um, crime and things that are criminalized, we get into a conversation about values and morals. And that sort of takes us back to the earlier conversation about the moral degradation, um, it, it does feel as if we are arriving at that point where because we do not, as a people, have a shared worldview and a sense of um, being held accountable to a just God, a good just God, um, we're beginning to reap the benefits or, I guess, reap the whirlwind related to the loss of faith. I mean, I, I, I can connect the two. I mean, you know, so which leads me to pray for revival and, uh, and that kind of, uh, of change in the hearts of Americans. Um, what are you seeing? I think that's a, a, a nice way to frame it because the law is a, an assertion of authority. But that means that the person asserting it has to be authoritative. And in a regime that says all men are created equal, where do we get ultimate authority if not from a non-human place? And that non-human place being God, who, who else but a creator to speak to equal human beings about what is just, moral, and right ultimately, uh, even if that's through nature, even if that's through natural law. At at the same time, I think your, your, your point is prescient that uh, from a purely political standpoint, you you can't force people who don't want to obey laws. If systematically a whole people rejects law and the moral basis underlying it, there's no even even the greatest tyranny in the world couldn't force them step by step to do so. It's it's how much of law is self-government and how much of that self-government is necessitated on recognizing who we are in the world and who God is in the world. And I think the the more you lose that, I think I think a, a fraction of it will always remain because God is sovereign and He'll make sure that that there's at least some order. But uh, I think the, the the more you have a society that is unable to at least function in a healthy way, even if it's able to survive, and I think that is a a serious a serious problem. And I think you frame it well in the way you just put that. All right, we don't have much time left, but I would love for you to just just comment, um, even if ever so briefly, on the fact that uh, July the 4th is upon us. Obviously a holiday I care about <laughs> as, as, as someone who <laughs> teaches politics. And I think to reiterate, I think it's not a bad thing to reiterate. It's it, that docu- the Declaration of Independence faith in the idea that we are all created equal, that we have inalienable rights and that we should respect the dignity of others in doing so. I think also as Christians, 
we we need to recognize that uh, I, I I would say a form of patriotism is not bad that loves one's country that recognizes its goods without diminishing its bads recognizes America and the 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 great religious freedom it has provided to us and been a beacon to for others uh, while still not conflating the fact that our ultimate home is with God in the new heavens and the new earth and hope that. Uh, our Christianity can temper our patriotism to make it a more just and right one, but that our patriotism can remind us as Christians that we live in a world that God has created, that God originally declared good, and that we can work to with our neighbors for peace and justice as we await the kingdom. I love it. Well done. Well done. All right, Dr. Adam Carrington, as always, thank you so much. Blessings on you as you uh, instruct those social studies teachers. That is just an awesome undertaking. So blessings upon that and blessings upon your celebration of Independence Day. Thank you. And, and the same to you for this July 4th. Amen. All right. We'll, we'll be right back. All right. We are going to have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We are going to uh, talk with Dr. Glenn Durer about what's going on around the world, particularly in Russia and China. Megan Brown, author of Summoned, Rough and Raw, will join us. We're going to talk about the book of Esther. And we're also going to talk about military families this time of year, since Megan is a seasoned military spouse and spends a lot of time in ministry with um, with others in the military and their families. So all of that's up in the next hour. Thanks for joining us in this first hour. Don't forget to, you can go and hear last night's live stream, uh, which was hosted on Faith Radio's Facebook and YouTube channels. It is now posted at Faith Radio's YouTube channel. You can go and uh, and listen to that as well. We'll be right back. Oh, Paul says I still have a minute. Yes, you do. I still have a whole minute. Yes. Paul, you're so good. It's like you create time for me. I just, I genuinely appreciate that. (laughs) All right, so what would we do with with an extra minute? What would you do with an extra minute today? Well, let's be sure that we glorify God and edify one another in the midst of it. So let God be glorified in what we say and do today. Let us uh, be not only reminded of God's greatness and his goodness and his glory and his grace, but let's be people who remind others of God's greatness and goodness and glory and grace. How can you and I shine forth today the gospel? How could we be ambassadors of the king and the kingdom? How could we um, make others aware that this world is not all that there is and that this life is not all there is to live? There's so much more. There's so much more. Let's be people who are heaven-focused today and draw others' attention to the Lord our God. Now, that was a good use of a minute. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.